Good morning, everyone. Just before we start this episode, I wanted to apologize for the few glitches you're going to hear from Rob's mic. We're trying to figure the best setup for his mic and it is not completely done yet. So yeah, can't do anything about that. Sorry again about that. Enjoy the episode. Slow Spin Society Podcast, episode 35. I am your usual co-host, Paul, and your other co-host today is none other than Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'll be co-hosting today. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Paul. No problem, uh, dude. Yeah. Uh, Fabian is not here today. The reasons are uh, in the pre-show. Well, <laughs> go listen to the pre-show. No, but uh, Fabian is back at uni. He has a lot of study to do. And one episode a month, I'm going to co-host it with Rob because I already wanted to do something with Rob. And it gives Fabian one free weekend per month, which I think is pretty nice. I'm sure he needs it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I definitely need it. Yeah. And I'm very happy to be here and jump in from time to time. So hopefully, yeah, people like it and uh, it works out. Excited. People will like it. They don't have the choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just before we start, uh, if you want to hear more about a guy strapping a freaking jet engine onto his bike or some updates on the crash of the Australian team on the Olympics, then you should listen to the pre-show. You can access the extended conversation at patreon.com slash podcast or by subscribing directly on Apple Podcasts, but more on that later. Okay, so let me give you a little pitch on how, like, what is the actual situation? It is now 8.45 a.m. We've been up since 6 a.m. with Rob, and we had... Uh, for a plan uh, to have a guest on the show on the other side of the world time zones you get it that's why we're up so early and no answer it didn't show up so <laughs> Rob and I were like okay we need to find an idea real quick before everything goes to shit and you know what we're gonna do it this versus that episode yeah. We both gotta come with five to ten IDs and confront it to each other, and it's gonna be really fun because I've never done it with Rob, and I'm pretty sure it's gonna be a blast. <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, that entire show has been prepared in let's say seven to ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, seven to ten minutes, but an incredible pre-show. So if you want to have a laugh, have a listen to that first. Yeah, because it was, I, it was I a lot of fun. That. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. loved a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the mere fact that someone is capable of strapping a jet engine to his bike, um, and you can actually buy that. Go go On, listen to the pre-show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to kick All us right. off? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, guest guest first. Okay, guest first. Okay, I'm looking at my list of questions. I'm going to go with one that I'm not sure is going to go down well, but we'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> bells on bikes or 
shouting at pedestrians to get out of your way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a legitimate question, you know? Yeah, you think? I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Okay, I don't own a bell. I found okay. them really nice, especially the new one that makes like that really, really nice sound. Like the gentle uh, ding, ding. Yeah, exactly. And they're like quite small. They cost a fortune. We got, yeah, yeah. You can get a knockoff version on AliExpress that doesn't sound as good. Um, I have like all my friends, they have one. <laughs> it, it, instead of it making a nice ding sound, it makes like... Cheap-ass ding sound. Cheap-ass ding sound. <laughs> bought the yeah. AliExpress. Should have saved. Should have, should have bought the real thing. Yeah. You just hear that every time. Yeah. It's not like a ding. It's more... It's not like a ding. It's more like a ding, motherfucker. <laughs> you know where you got your bell. <laughs> and... Um, I mean, so I don't own a bell. Uh, but... I try to not shout at pedestrians if it's not, if I don't have to, like, I whistle to them. Ah, yes, the old whistle, yeah, that, that works. Yeah, but I, I, I will not, if it's not an emergency, I will not shout. <laughs> do you have a go-to, that's an, part of the same question, do you have a go-to saying or shout or noise to make... If in emergency, someone is about to step out and they're not looking and you really need to get their attention, do you have a go-to noise sound? Uh, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah? What I is do. it? <laughs> Which is actually pretty funny. So, just to put it in context, I am 1 meter 80, pretty thin, and I am really white, okay? I have freckles, um, I don't tan... Um, I am extremely fucking white. Um, you have a good pasty complexion. <laughs> exactly. A healthy pasty complexion. <laughs> and if someone just jumps on the street, I'm going to go off and say like, Hey, yo! <laughs> Doesn't match my body at all. Like, straight out of Brooklyn kind of yeah. style. And people actually get surprised with that, so it works. But they're usually looking elsewhere because there's no way that that guy was shouting that, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's my go-to. What is yours? I mean, do you, first, do you do you shout or do you have a bell? First, I don't have a bell on any of my bikes. Um, let's talk about that because I find a bell is a very convenient thing and in theory is a, the, a polite way to tell another bike you're passing, to inform p pedestrians about to cross that you're coming. And I think the bell is a r responsible and polite way to do it. But what I see actually on the road, if I see people using bells to pass people in the cycle lane and people get pissed off. People are like, why are you ringing your bell at me? It's like, well, it's just a polite way to get past you, to let you know yeah. I'm approaching. The cycle paths aren't always so wide, so please move over to the right so I can pass on the left. Ding, ding. Like we said, the new bells sound much nicer than the old style <laughs> bells. But I still see people getting pissed off. Um, yeah. So this is one reason why I don't have one. 
most of the time I don't use cycle paths anyway, so I'm on the road more than I would be on a cycle path. My, I definitely have a go-to sound or saying, uh, which has a backstory as well, as it happens. Um, the old pe- uh, pedal documentary from the New York Messenger scene from the 90s uh, yeah. was a big influence for me. And there was one guy, one, one messenger called Skeletor. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he always shouts, hip, 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 hip. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, that's what I use. I shout hip hip really loud, really loud, really fast. It's a, it's kind of a deep uh, noise that comes out, and people react super quick and uh, move. So that's that's the sound I use. <laughs> that's very cool. The, what I see in Paris was people and bells because all the all the bike you can use with like a membership you know like uh, yeah those heavy things um tanks as we call them here uh they all have bells right mm-hmm. and people spam it so badly you know it's not uh... it's not ding ding i am coming through it's ding 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 fuck you i am passing through yeah yeah the misuse of bells yeah exactly the abuse of power that the bell can give (laughs) yeah exactly exactly bell people are basically dictators in disguise yeah yeah so that's why bells get a bad rep i think then because people are misusing them yeah you you know what someone (laughs) should create something like a bell with a cooldown (laughs) <laughs> like you can ring it once but then you need to wait i don't know like seven seconds to ring it another time yeah well oh, what i've just thought is those horrible sounding horns that people put on their bike oh, the, the one joint. where you press the little coucher thing yeah when you like squeeze the thing and it's like <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> Like an old-fashioned... <laughs> Do people actually use that in Berlin? Yeah. People have what? loads of weird shit on their bikes in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe with electric bikes, we're going to see, like, more, uh, like, electronic horns, kind of? Yeah. There's definitely uh, the new LED system for lighting sometimes comes with a built-in speaker sound so that you press the button on your handlebar and it like, but that's horrendous sound. I don't want to see more of that. That would be awful. Yeah. I I really want to see people like hacking into those and programming sounds from movie movies (laughs) where people are like, get out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or you just hear like an X-wing fighter coming up behind you. That would be cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. But overall, I generally think bells are a good thing, um, especially like Sunday morning rides when you're taking a ride through out a little bit out of the city and you're on a cycle path, which is used by pedestrians as well. Um, it's definitely a, a, a polite and nicer way to let people know you're coming um yeah but in the city i think shouting and both can work but having a bit of a voice especially for people that ride and they don't have so much confidence i'd and you, 
it's not nothing you would do if you're not that confident on a bike is like shout hey you you yeah. i'm about to hit you because you're not paying attention so using your voice can definitely help yeah 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 all right pretty good one (laughs) uh my first question is slammed stem or safety spacers Ooh, that actually is a good question (laughs) i'm terrible um because if i'm getting a new frame set I have a fear of cutting down the the steerer tube too much. I start with an impressive amount of spaces. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking one to two inch, something like two and a half centimeters to ten centimeters. Sometimes I put two big ones in and a top one in, and then I move my stem around for a week to two weeks to maybe longer to find which position I really like it in before I cut my steerer down and then fit the exact amount of spaces depending on the style of riding. Like my track lacrosse has one big space and my freestyle bike has two bigger spaces for for other reasons. But yeah, I, I never cut it down straight away. Slammed looks better, I think. Mm-hmm. I think a slammed stem with a nice neat top cap looks so much more legit yeah but one or two spaces definitely works as well yeah no definitely some of my bikes are fully slammed mm-hmm. and some of them have uh two or three spacers most of the time i won't slam them anyway but i cut a little bit too long and i'm too lazy to cut again so i put a spacer <laughs> yeah yeah but no yeah would you prefer Uh, to put smaller spaces and more of them or a bigger spacer oh definitely smaller spacers yeah man for sure for sure it looks so much better bigger spacers just look like i don't know uh, a second tube on your yeah i don't know it just looks weird i don't like it yeah if you can put two five millimeter spacers instead of a 10 millimeter spacer then um yeah, it's much better looking. I think. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, actually, on my mash work, I have like four uh, small you, spacers. You have the um, aperture ones, right? Is that right? Yeah. 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 And because I switch, I swapped my fork for wound up. And I'm mm. just too lazy to cut that wound up. So yeah, I have four spacers now, and. I, I am still too lazy, so it's staying. It's not it's not going anywhere. I also think it's like um, you know you depending on your degree or slope of your stem, depending on the rise of your bar or drop of your bar, getting that comfortable position can everyone's toss, uh, top half of their body is different to the bottom half of their body, so. A standard, you know, medium or small or large frame can vary. So the spacer definitely can give you a more comfortable riding position. So that's why I never like to cut them down too quickly. If if I've been riding the bike for three six months and it's slammed and I've got and and I've still got a spacer on the top because I wasn't sure, 
I'll, I'll eventually get to cutting it down and keeping it slammed. Mm. Um, so you're like, you're the keep a spacer on top kind of guy. I I don't like to be that guy, but yeah, I am actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I always get nervous. I don't know why. I guess it's from my history of like selling bikes after some time of like being able to resell a bike or a fork um, if it's got a bit more length on it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, like completely, I mean, it's in the same area, but uh, a random anecdote. Yesterday I was eating with a friend and he told me he had a technique to always have grease on him if he need grease on, like, on the go to like, oh, there is not enough grease <laughs> here or on screen and rescreen something that, I don't know, like make noise so you just put an extra grease. Do you know that space between your star nut and the top of your fork? Yeah. And so oh, there's only... Oh, he keeps it there. Yeah, he keeps grease there. That's actually quite good. Isn't that absolute genius? I was super suspicious when he said he's, he, he hides or stores grease somewhere on him every time he goes out riding. That he... That he can... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> super sketchy. I was like, where is this going? What does he have? But that makes a lot of sense, actually. So, yeah, when... Like, I mean, because... You always have uh, your, like, I mean, a multi-tool and probably um, some tubes pump, yeah. and some patches yeah. and O2. You never have grease. But have you ever really needed to grease something while out on a ride? Absolutely not. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, if one day I need, I know I'll be there. Are you going to do that? Are you going to actually store some grease in there? No. no. You couldn't do no. it with carbon expander. That's, that's the other thing. No, no, you couldn't do that. Yeah. But, I mean, the, I'm in, I was wondering, if it gets extremely hot, that, does it just, like, drip Ooh. through your entire <laughs> fork and your bike is just squirting grease? And it just drips onto your front wheel on your front tire while riding. And, yeah, that's not... Oh, my God, that's actually it. quite dangerous then. Yeah, yeah. You could always do the, the, the pull your bar end out, put a little bit in a sealed uh, zip bag and slide it in your bar or something like that. But I'm yeah. never going to carry grease. I'm never going <laughs> to be carrying grease. But if you're bikepacking, actually. Yeah. If you're, if you're going for a week or even three or four days and that's not a bad idea. No, that's not. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, what I would like to carry is oil. Yeah, I always... If, yeah. Because sometimes I go on two-day strip, and the first day is raining as fuck, yeah. and the second day my chain is just dying, you know? It's just, yeah. ah, please. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than riding a, a bit of distance with a dry chain. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awful. Yeah. So I've been thinking about um, saving those little... Um, Spicy all they give you with pizzas, you know? Yeah, yeah. They, you keep those. <laughs> well, maybe we could do like a, um, like a McDonald's tomato sauce sachet, but you could promote it as a slow spin society safety oil. So you have like a like a like a salt and pepper, but that's got like something else in it, and then you have a tomato ketchup one, which is which has got chain oil in it. 
Oh my god, that is that's some nice business ideas. Please, nobody that's, take that. <laughs> it's quite nice, though, right? Yeah, it is. It's, nice. it's a little giveaway. <laughs> <sighs> I'm an I'm an over greaser anyway. I work in a You're bike not shop. You're over greaser. I'm an over. Oh yeah, everything, every nut and bolt. Uh, yeah, I yeah, know. Same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just makes things easier, you know. To remove or to change or to, yeah, yeah, it's just easier. You're just saving your bike from so much if you if you maintain it and keep everything greased. Everything yeah. lasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I did have a confusing situation a while back when I first got a set of bolt uh, through hubs, like uh, male and female, so the bolt goes into the hub. Uh-huh. And... And you know, I've I've never greased an axle on a on a regular on a regular axle, but my wheel kept moving uh, on the fixed side when I was skidding a lot. And I'd, at the time, I hadn't worked as a mechanic for a few years. And I went to uh, see a good friend of mine, a mechanic, and he was like, because BMX have had the male female system for a long time, he was like, you actually have to grease the bolts on a on a male female axle a hub because it actually tightens it even more. If yeah. you don't grease it, it has a much bigger opportunity to slip because uh, it's just metal against metal where the grease kind of allows you to tighten it and it won't slip. And I hear that a lot about different people's concerns for um, bolt axle hubs that they, they move, not if you grease the bolts. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I do that too. I grease everything. And it's weird because you would naturally think that, oh, if I put grease, it's just going to unscrew yeah, more yeah. easily. But no, it, it actually makes you able to, to make it tighter and it's not moving. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that That's the one bit that's like kind of counter opposite in my mind when I was putting grease onto a bolt that I'm trying to tighten more. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it makes sense. All right. <laughs> on to the next one. Okay. That's my go now. Yep. Okay. Um, what would you prefer to ride a road bike conversion? So like a used a, a, a bike a converting in an, a road bike into a fixie or a cheap complete track bike out of a box Oof. okay why what kind of road bike are we talking about so so if say your average uh cheap 6ku standard fixie two brakes uh, cheap components is what 399 euros out of the box uh-huh. I think I could build a, ch a better road conversion just finding an old steel bike um, with something with a, at least, you know, some tight geometry and build mm -hmm. up a bike cheaper than buying a complete. So, my, yeah, for me, it's. I think my question would be more, what would you prefer to spend the money on, building it yourself or buying a complete? Having a conversion would probably have more character too. Yeah. You know? And yeah, it would more more kind of soul to it. Uh yeah, if I had no choice, I would go with the conversion, I think. 
Yeah. The only problem, and I put big quotes around that, is uh, the geometry. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 6KU geometry would be more closer to... Would be closer to a track geometry uh, and old road geometries, especially on old steel frames, are really, really slacky. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I would probably look really good for what frame I'm going to do that conversion on. Before. Yeah, beforehand. Yeah. yeah. My other argument to that also would be actually I've seen it's quite quickly to upgrade a 6KU and make it a bit more personal and still have already a track wheel set. And it, it doesn't, you know, take the stickers off, take the brakes off, maybe buy a, a 10 euro uh, handlebar and stem and make it a little bit more unique, put some straps on it. And quite quickly, you've got a entry level but cool bike as well. Oh yeah, no. I mean, yeah. the, I think the natural progression today is buying a 6KU and upgrading pretty much everything until the point that you just switch frame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny yeah. because I actually had a question related to that and it was cheap fixed gears like 6KUs, for example. <laughs> Good, because they are affordable and it helps people get into the hobby and the community. Mm -hmm. Or bad, because they are just a pile of shit. Very interesting question. And by pile of shit, I mean, there's a lot of people that kind of get discouraged because they're like, oh, I have a 6KU and it it's not that much fun when everybody yeah, yeah. in the group ride has like, I don't know, a Sinelli, for example. Yeah. And, you know, the 6KUs come with, uh, like, a 5-euro tire, and it's 23 or 25-millimeter SE. So it's they're, they're, in theory, a good way to start. But if you don't spend any money or upgrade anything for the first year, the bike is going to feel like complete shit, and you're probably going to get a bit put off by it. Yeah. Mm, definitely that's an interesting one because yeah i agree with i i you know we all want to get more people on a track bike we want to get more people into fixed gear riding and and see the community grow because it is growing and it is in essence a simple way to ride and a fun way to ride but decathlon and 6ku and the cheaper brand yeah the decathlon what's that one called again i can't remember um there is so many of them out there. They don't get looked after. And yeah, they end up kind of the same as any other cheap bike. Piles of metal on a on a rubbish dump. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of a disposable bike. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, I know that people are going to buy it because it's cheap. And brands are actually making a lot of money on that because they are selling you this like 300, but it costs them so much less to produce that kind of stuff, especially in the quantity they're producing it. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, it, it's good that it can get people into fixed gear and 
uh, people can, you know, like go in a crow pride for the first time or have a yeah. taste as uh, at what is a fixed gear. This being said, most of those bikes are being shipped with a freewheel. Yeah, yeah, they 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 come out of the box freewheel. Yeah, and I build up quite a few. Um, there's grease nowhere. Talking about nowhere. grease, there is not a grease single nowhere. bit. They're the driest bikes. <laughs> That's it. You know, um, I when I used to work in the bike shop in Newcastle, and we were a big giant uh, distributor. We used to sell a lot of giant bikes, uh-huh. and. Um, for a long time, they came like with grease everywhere on every nut and bolt and uh, whatnot. And then there was a big discussion. All the shareholders of Giant had this big, big meeting. And because of the weight over the massive amount of bikes that they send around the world, they agreed with most people that were going to buy them that they would come without grease because they were saving hundreds of thousands because of the weight from the sheer amount of bikes they were sending around the world. So they put a warning in and they told mechanics and bike shops who were selling it to take to, to put to grease most things. Wow. That is so yeah. much more work. Yeah. For yeah. the mechanics and the shops. Yeah. But they, it was a big thing for Giant at one point that they were like, right, we're going to cut grease out on certain... It wasn't on every part of the bike. It was on certain parts that the mechanic would have to... Because uh, they didn't come with the, the stem on, they didn't come with the handlebars on, they didn't come with pedals on, they didn't come with certain bits. So it was the bits that you had to put together anyway to build the bike out of the box. Mm, yeah, so it makes sense, like, yeah. It wasn't like the bottom bracket or anything like that. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think a, a 6KU isn't a bad bike if you take everything out and you keep the frame. <laughs> um, and it's bar spinnable. Yeah. They're bar spinnable. That's amazing. <laughs> if, you, if you keep the frame, then why not? It's a little bit heavy, but it'll work. It's a perfect, uh, uh, perfect um, beginner bike, I think. Absolutely. I, I would recommend them to a lot of different people. They have clearance for like 28 or 32C tires, which is great, I think. Uh, throw away the tires instantly, replace them. That's that's the first thing. Put a decent... Ah, that comes to my next question. Ah. Mm. Should we move on to the next one? Absolutely. So, cheap or expensive lock rings and cogs? There's... I mean... No wrong answer was that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This is more of a personal warning because I see so many hubs get damaged because of these cheap ass lock rings. Yeah. Go buy a nice lock ring and tighten your only brake and your only way of pedaling onto your wheel properly. That frustrates me. Yeah, it's literally the thing that keeps everything together. Yeah. Your drivetrain is is the main thing on your bike. Yeah. There's too much at risk when having mm-hmm. a, a like a cheap one and the fact that you'll probably never be able to take it off is one more thing to consider. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> because those cheap aluminum ones, they, they just strip and... And yeah. you're done, you know? 
And that just uh, destroys your hub as well, which is yeah. super upsetting when you just damage your entire back wheel because uh, of a 10 euro lock ring over, I mean, uh, sorry, a 20 euro lock ring over like a five or seven euro lock ring. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, anyone starting out who's listening, just uh, uh, cogs for me can be cheap because uh, they're just pulling the chain. The cog can be not the best if you don't want to invest in that at the beginning. But a lock ring with a wider lock ring with three, uh, around four to six threads on it is what you're looking for. And that thing will hold your, your cog in place. Uh, a lot better than a, a cheap thin some of the thin ones you can see it's got two threads in it <laughs> yeah yeah no those are scary yeah those are super scary sorry sorry i've seen one snap and ping off while riding Ooh, wow yeah the whole thing snapped in half and it shot off while while we were riding on one night ride <laughs> holy shit okay yeah, yeah. now for the chain ring, yeah. For the for uh, sorry, for the lock ring, yeah. For the cog, you could buy a cheap cog. Um, it, it will work, you know. But the difference between a cheap cog that has been uh, molded and you know it's like a injection of mm -hmm. metal, you know, uh, in a, in a and I don't know if it's molded or forged. No, not no, it's molded. Yeah, it's molded. It's molded, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And something that has been forged or uh, CNC or water cut, something that has been proper, properly Precision. manufactured will make your world different. The, the difference is huge. And... What I can say from my experience is most cheap cogs are not round. Yeah, they're not perfectly round. That, that was what I was going to say as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would I would definitely go, and you don't have to be to go crazy either. Um, the best example I can give you is I have an Euro Asia, the really basic one, the black one, the the first one mm. you can get. How much is that? Forty bucks. Yeah. I had it for seven years. Yeah, exactly. I ride it every day. It still works great. I, I so. couldn't agree with you more. Like um, for me, it has to be a basic Azumi chain and uh, a decent forged, uh, a proper decent Ritz uh, cog and chain ring. I think for the amount I'm on the bike and it's something that, you know, didn't really come into me uh, came to me more recently in the last couple of years is the quality of drivetrain is super important and, and the feel of riding something like that is so much better yeah yeah it's an it's an upgrade that all in all is going to cost you probably less than 60 bucks yeah and it can really make a difference for your riding experience but also for future proofing you know the yeah. fact that you know you now have a cog that you can put on any wheel set, uh, compatible wheel set, I mean, because you know it's going to last and you yeah. know you're going to be able to, as long as you greasy, take it off uh, because it's a, it's a good cog, it's a good lock ring. There's no reason why you would strip it. Yeah, it should just come on and off every time, no problem. Yeah.
just just saying it out there, but steel cogs are superior to aluminium cogs. Yeah, I think so. The amount of pressure that goes on the cog over the the chainring is 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 very different from the the size. I would always choose steel if I can, not aluminium on my cog, but I prefer an aluminium chainring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, aluminium chainring, yeah. What do you and think of steel chainrings? I've never tried one. I know you guys at Fix Your Villain, you have uh, the... The Ziggerblad. <laughs> the the Ziggerblad. Yeah, no, um, I had it between my hands, and I think it's really nice and pretty heavy, but I never Fair, wrote it. Yeah. It's heavy. Um, I kind of like the feel of it. And on the steel bike, it, and the bike's already steel, and the weight didn't bother me so much. Um, aesthetically, I think aluminium looks better on chin rings. Mm, yeah. And just to come back to cogs real quick. Yeah, sorry. Um, sorry. There is Surly that makes really, really good and cheap, affordable steel cogs. And uh, I think Charge makes some too. And yeah, they're they're good cogs. Uh, Surly's lock ring is the is I think one of the best on the market. Oh um, yeah, it is so thick. It's so thick, and it even has an extra one or two threads, like thin bit that goes un- into the, the the cog. It's the so tight; it's never moved. Any of my Surly lock rings have never moved. Yeah, no, definitely the way to go. And one more note on lock rings, pop to a bike shop and ask them to tighten it on properly. Don't feel too bad. And I don't like cheap chain whips, to be honest. And it's quite a hard tool to, a good expensive lock ring tool and a cog tool are are expensive. So if you don't have one, just pop to the bike shop and ask them to tighten it on and you'll, it'll be less likely to slip. Yep. Yeah. All right. On to the next question. <laughs> Fix gear freestyle. 26 inch and send it or 700 seat and break it? <laughs> Very good question. Very good question. Um, I am um, going to be a hypocrite. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I ride a... My trick bike has a front 26 inch wheel and a rear 28-inch wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you're going. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm, I have a BMX background. I love uh, the BMX style of riding. Personally, fixed gear freestyle riding a 26-inch uh, fixed gear with a... BMX style frame with a low saddle with a high handlebar uh, is hard, is pretty skillful, but I don't think it has the same flow that BMX has. And that's why I particularly not my style of riding. I don't like riding a skate park fixed gear because it's you lose that flow, you lose that motion to ride a trick and roll out of it because you're always pedaling. I feel like a lot of the tricks are even more challenging on a fixed gear, but don't look as impressive for some reason. Um, mm. It's like you're trying harder to do something than it would be on a BMX, um, 
but you the, you're not getting the flow from the roll of a BMX. You're you're actually having to keep pedaling. So for me, it's not the my favorite style. And and you can't blast around the city on a 26 inch. Uh, True. Fixed gear. You 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 can't just. You can a bit, but it's it's a much heavier bike. It's you're not in the same riding position. That's why I like riding fixed gear. Originally, is the speed you can get in riding the city. The tricks came second. Um, so <laughs> that's my nice way of saying I'm not that into 26 inch fixed gear freestyle. <laughs> I get and it. Yes. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, I don't do 26 inch. Um, I think what people do with it is pretty impressive. Like we were talking with uh, Jackson Rachel um, mm-hmm. a few a few weeks back, and what he does with 26 inch is crazy. He just send stuff that I could never do. But yeah, 700C is for me. Um, even if I like tricks. Um, I also really enjoy just riding around and yeah, yeah, for me, it's just, uh, the logical way to go, but I'd be curious to know what people that are really into freestyle, uh, would think between like, oh yeah, 700 C, um, and I mean, you are definitely riding bikes that are not meant to <laughs> do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. most of them or fix your freestyle and you're writing like spanish bottom bracket 14 millimeter axles and mm-hmm. big fatty tires but you definitely have it's it's slower it's less comfy it's yeah it's all of all of those things i also think when i started tricking um fixed gear that i wanted it to be a bmx and i wanted to be able to do kind of the same thing that i could do on my bmx so in the beginning, it was a, I tried one of a 28 inch, but it was a fixed gear freestyle bike from um, Mongoose, I think. I think Oscar let me try oh, it yeah, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it had that really, uh, the, the top tubes really going up. And um, I tried them out and the top tubes are really long on them and things like that. And yeah, I, I I now just like to learn and practice the tricks on my bike. That doesn't damage it too much. It's obviously not designed for it, but that combination of flatland moves, spins, sliders that still create the flow of riding quite a fast bike and not like starting and stopping in a line, trying to keep a, each line as one continuous movement that you just ride away from. Um, so yeah, my, I think my style is changing in terms of which tricks I like to do just because of the limitation and the freedom you get from riding fixed gear. I get that. I get that. Mm. Well, I guess that was a pretty um, easy question then. <laughs> and I think we both handled it very well, but, yeah. um, it would be good. I, I really liked the episode with, uh, Jackson and the, uh, the four forward 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 gang yeah, I, forward. I, forward gang um really nice but also it would be one time if we do have more of a trick uh talk we could get a 26 incher uh fixed gear, fixed gear freestyle guy on and we could argue the differences that would be cool definitely that'd be fun okay so my time for a question 
Yep. I'm going to say an obvious one for me, but I'm not so sure about you. I think we might have different opinions on this one. BMX style grips or bar tape? Oh, you know where I stand. <laughs> you know where I am. And you don't just have bar tape. You have the thinnest. Um, it's almost just grip tape, right? It's cotton tape. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, I mean, putting uh, grip tape from a skateboard would be basically the same thing. Ah, uh, yeah, not grip tape, but yeah, yeah, like uh, cotton tape, yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I'm really into cotton tape. I know a lot of people don't like it, uh, but for me, for me, it just suits me. And I like the feel of having that direct feeling with the handlebar. Yeah. Um, the grips for me are just too slippery, too smushy, too <laughs> nah. I'm not, I'm not I'm not into that. Have you ever had them on your bike? Like yeah, that? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, I had some before, and I, I I don't know. I I got I guess I got really influenced um in the past, um when. I remember one day I was just, it was years ago, I was just hanging at a shop and I was planning for a new build. I look at the, a bike on like next to me and it had like brown cotton tape, you know? And I look at my friends and mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, I want the same tape, but in black. And they all look at me like, you stupid, this is black tape. It just gets brown, like if you use it a lot. That's the coolest part about it. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> totally got inceptioned. Um, was that in Japan? Yeah, that was really at the real beginning of Japan. Yeah, and like totally got influenced into that. And yeah, and now it's like cotton tape only. Let's, I mean, I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's really cheap. And... <laughs> I'm a cheap ass when it comes to yeah. stuff like that, like bar tape and stuff. I don't want to spend forty dollars <laughs> on whatever kind of bar tape uh, you you're gonna show me. So yeah, cotton tape is my way to go. Do you, do you use cotton tape on drop bars as well as risers? Yeah, um, on on myself drop bars right now. I have some lizard skin. Hmm. So not cotton, but I have another set of jobs that I use quite often and yeah, they are cotton. Hmm. Do you think it could affect uh, vibration and damage your palms potentially after some time without any cushion? Oh it, yeah. It is cushioned a bit, obviously. Definitely, yeah. no, 100%, especially when it gets quite old and you've sweat a lot into it, so it gets even thinner. <laughs> um, it's just... I mean, it's a good amount of grip, but it's the smallest amount of cushion you can get. Um, and before I was putting tape, um, I had like a bike with grips that I was using sometimes. But my main bike was just raw, you know, like no grips. One day I was going down home uh, and it was raining and I almost slid off my handlebar and I was like, Tomorrow I'm getting tape. This is way too fucking dangerous. Yeah, I got tape. <laughs> because it was cheap and it was just practical. 
Was that around the time when No Grips was a thing? Oh yeah. No Grips yeah. was the coolest thing around and I wanted I wanted to be the coolest <laughs> kid on the block. So I was like, yeah, No Grips, I rip. And and when people were like, "Don't your hands hurt or isn't that bar cold in winter?" And I'm like, "No, it's carbon. It doesn't get cold." <laughs> It's fine, and it looks cool. It looks cool, and then I almost crashed really fucking bad one day, and I was like, no, I am getting grips. I think when I've done a lot of builds, I don't, not anymore. In the past, when I would build, I'd put the the handlebar on, and I'd I'd ride it for a few days without anything, because when that time was, when it was cool to not have any grips, I did like that too. But then it just, yeah, it's just too slippy and um, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm definitely more of a tape guy, but I know you're definitely more of a grip guy. Oh, yeah. BMX grips all of the way. All of the way. Vans, Cult, Waffle grips, pretty much on every bike I've got. All the way. My God, they're so smooshy. They're like two sponges. Not when you've had them. Yes, they can get pretty sweaty pretty quick. But I find if you tricking a lot... Or, or even in general riding a lot and you're kind of pushing so your hands are kind of twisting on the grip quite some time they get to this really nice phase where that top layer just comes off and it gets before it gets totally mushy and, and horrible there's a phase where it kind of stays dry and it's 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 really nice this sounds like a hell of a process doesn't it to keep, keep to have, a, to have just a dry grip for a while there's a really nice phase when you've had them a little bit before they're totally fucked which is the longest bit by the way it's the longest section when they're brand new they're not so nice when they're just about to die they're kind of horrible but right in the middle they're perfect. It's like a fruit. You need to get it just ripe enough, but after it's utter shit. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh my god. Yeah. Yes, there is approximately yeah. like two full moons when they are good, and after I need to switch them. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. But I, I, lo- I, lo- I love Vans cult grips. They're uh, Vans waffles. They're amazing. I really want to give a go at their tires. I I know they made tires at some point. Yeah. And I know they are also super large or something like 47. That's the problem. We looked at them for a freestyle bike recently and they're just even way too big for a freestyle bike. I think you're right, 47. So, yeah. But if if one day I have something that can fit 47s, oh, yeah, I'm going vans all the way. I've got to admit, they look so cool as well. They come in so many different patterns and colors. And you get the Vans waffle off the bottom of your trainer on a tire all the way around. How cool is that? (laughs) (laughs) That's so dope. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, I wish they were making like, it wouldn't be that hard to make like a thinner version of that. No, I don't think so. I think they, they I think they could easily do it like uh, 37, 42C. Yeah, or just make it like a, a 35 mm. would be possible. Yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> your favorite size of tire on all your bikes. <laughs> <laughs> they're expensive, though. I don't know how much they are, but I think they're, they're pretty costly. I can't remember. Uh, we did look at them recently, but I can't remember. The, the BMX tires in general are quite cheap compared to road tires, yeah. but the, when you look at BMX tires made in a 29 or 28 inch, it becomes expensive, yeah. 
Because the BMX one is like 35 euros. Yeah. Actually, which is still pricey. Yeah, for BMX tires, it is pricey. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can find Oh, one. and one last thing that I really like about the van's grip is that it's not too thick and it's a nice length. So it kind of fits the category because I don't like a grip that's too thick. I understand what you're saying about feeling the bar more from grip tape. Uh, uh, from uh, cotton tape I understand having a, clo a tighter grip around the, the bar I think is more comfortable than a really fat grip and the Vans grips are kind of a good length just, just wider than your hand a, a bit wider than your hand so you can move around the bar quite a bit Yeah, that's my other reason Yeah. okay so I am on the French website and they have the 29 mm -hmm. inch in stock Mm -hmm. It is, uh, for the gum version, is 40 euros. This being said, that tire is one kilo. What width is it? How big is it in, in the width? Uh, it is in 29, 29er uh, category, so it's 2.1 inch. Uh, 2.1. Yeah. How much is that for like 700c people? I think that's like uh, 52C. 43. 43? 53, 53. Ah, I was right. I nailed that. 52. 53. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, that's wide. I mean, yeah, I run 40, 40C on my track lacrosse and that's wide. So that's another, yeah, it's massive. Yeah, so Vans, if you're listening, just make us a nice 35C, 37C, and we'll try them out on all our fixings. You would make so much fucking money. Just do I it. I think so. Like, <laughs> Brins, this is, this, don't listen to us because we're just a small podcast. But we have some nice advice. <laughs> just buy the mold. Okay, it's quite expensive. I know how a tire mold can be expensive. But you're gonna make so much money. I like I might pay for the mold by myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I would definitely try them. And I think a lot of people uh especially Would just be you know, curious and try them. Yeah. A lot of the freestyle guys that are riding freestyle on a on a, a 28-inch 700 c bike would would be Everyone's riding 35 to 37C tires now and like contact speeds and stuff like that. I would love to put a Vans uh, tire on my bike and see it. That would look mega. Yeah, no, that one looks cool. That would look cool. Yeah. yeah. Especially on the right build on a steel bike. Yeah, man, that would look sick. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. how we got here. But yeah, how did we yeah. get Vans tires. Vans tires. Yeah. We digressed okay. a little bit. I think it's your go to go. One last question. Grocery getter, okay? Vintage MTB or crazy carbon track bike with a goddamn basket in the front? <laughs> um, crazy carbon bike with a basket? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> With a jet engine? <laughs> with a jet engine, of course. Yeah, as of long course. as my carbon uh, grocery bike has a jet engine, then that's my number one choice. 
Oh my god, you don't want to put a jet engine on a fixed gear. Oh, imagine your legs would just snap off your body. You'd just be a torso. <laughs> just, just, just a torso holding onto the bars. And your legs are just spinning. <laughs> <laughs> hitting off the floor. Um, oh god. Grocery, grocery, uh, pub bikes, grocery shop, whatever, uh, whatever we call them. I love a 90s 26 inch mountain bike. The vintage 19 carbon that is already half dead and you put a basket in the front <laughs> and some nonsense wheels. It's just my, oh, it's my go-to. I love this and I always love this because it's just, God, I'm, I am, you know, I am looking forward of getting old and see some old full carbon specialized with a basket in the front. <laughs> When you put it like that, it does sound pretty amazing, I have to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Some, like, even I see a lot of people in Berlin, like, convert a an old carbon uh, road bike uh-huh. into a single speed bike with a rack. Oh, with, wow. With, with discs and stuff and uh, spinaches and, and crazy setups with a front rack and... It's got a really loud freewheel and a carbon disc on the back. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how they tension the chain, but yeah, it, there's a lot of that going on. And now that you've said that, kind of like that, like a proper old carbon weird design frame that and just putting it as your pub bike, your grocery bike. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. I have, um, I have uh, that old... Ukrainian track frame, the Ellen. Oh, you've seen that one before, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I finished that bike recently, and I put a pair of Boras, uh, mm. the the really old one, in the in a basket in the front. It's unrideable. It's on tubulars. It's all damn carbon fiber. The, the the wheels are like 16 spokes each um <laughs> and and it's just so fucking impractical but holy shit i love it yeah oh yeah i love Do you lock it. it up um yeah I'll lock it up it it's actually at my dad's place so i don't i i didn't have that much opportunity to write it but but oh that's such a great bike uh and the the i don't know the kind of freak stuff nonsense has always appealed to me and yeah uh, and i then, like those now stuff. you're moving in that direction yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing about the like 90s mtb bikes um they cost a lot of money to do them right they're getting pretty expensive don't they yeah if you want to put like a modern like 10 speed or 9 speed on the back and a, like a one by system and put some decent brakes on it and then tires and and they're all kitted out with like full spec on an old frame and they, they become yeah. they become an expensive bike after after a while yeah no i think i've seen like a dream build video recently of a guy building a yeti limited mm. mountain bike and he had like hope lavers, hope hubs, yeah. Yeah. hope rotors, hope yeah. calipers, hope um, <laughs> headsets. 
and probably something else that I forgot. A seat clamp, maybe. Yeah. And I was like, that is a lot of money for a vintage mountain bike. I really hope you're going to use this on actual trails. Uh, because, wow, uh, that might cost more than, than a uh, new bike. Yeah. Yeah, the brand new bike that is actually pretty good. So. Yeah, no, they, they can be really expensive, and the hype that is around them recently, yeah, uh, I think it's not gonna go for long. I kind of, I kind of see it fading already. Yeah, I think in a phase in the '90s where the frames were just so much better than what's coming out new now for the price, oh, yeah. um, the the tubing, the the, the paint works, the the kind of experimental stuff, um, really, really good frames came out of the the '90s. For mountain yeah. bike i think yeah i mean from a consumer point of view you don't want carbon because it's expensive and it is in your head it's fragile yeah but you also don't want the same aluminum mountain bike that all your body have mm. and then finding like a cheap 90s alternative i mean cheap quotes around that <laughs> uh, might be a good idea you know yeah Especially since, I mean, yes, mountain bike standards have evolved a lot, but you can still fit some new stuff onto an old mountain bike and it'll work just fine. Yeah. Yeah. But buy a fixed gear. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, a a dirty carbon track bike is the way to go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <sighs> please please this is the perfect way to lose your money yeah oh, it will look even better when you cracked it and then you repair it without <laughs> repainting it <laughs> with kappa tape <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh god look. yeah no perfect <laughs> and I think uh, that is that's where we're going to left it off for today. I think that was a very good first uh, co-host episode. I'm very happy. Yeah, that absolutely. Well. As usual, everything we discussed today will be on the show notes on the blog. So the spinsidey.com. Uh, you can also find a suggestion box there where you can tell us what we should talk about in the podcast. You can find us on our Discord server. Uh, the invite link is also in the show notes or on our Instagram account at Slusbin Society. And also you can follow Rob at KarenZ.co. Every link will be in the show notes anyway. Sharing the podcast with your friend is the easiest way to support the show or by giving us a good review on the platform of your choice. If you're getting value out of the show, why not considering putting value back in either by supporting us on Apple Podcasts with their new subscription program or by visiting patreon.com slash podcast to join the community. We're pledging at any level we're going to access to the pre and after show, which is around 40 minutes of extra content per week. We are now at 25 Patreons. Actually, 27. Two new Patreons in one day. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you guys enjoy all the extra content. And as always, thank you so much for your support. The music for the show is Lovely Swindler by Amaria, and the illustration, well, is by me. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Rob, for being on the show and welcome, I guess, to the Sluspin family because you're going to be like a regular co-host from now on. Very, very happy to be here and I uh, look forward to doing more and more. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Um, and as always, you'll find me and Fabian uh, like usual next week. In the meantime, uh, you guys have a good Monday or whatever you're listening this episode on. And we're going to go on to the after show. Have a yeah. good one. Bye bye. Have a nice day, guys. Bye bye.